0: Banning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia.
1: Welcome fellow nerds to episode 95 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast, where we take one final
2: bow to the Goblin King. Dude... I mean, when we found out that David Bowie had passed, like, because you know how the internet is, people will, you know, do fake deaths. And, oh yeah. And then you're like, you know, I tweeted out, you know, rest in peace, David Bowie, kind of thing. You know, I did my research, but then on my Facebook, my friend, I had a friend who was like, oh no, this place is reporting that he didn't die. And I'm like, saying to myself, no, because his son went on Twitter and, and said it's true, kind of right. thing. Right. And I understand things get hacked, but. I mean, 18, 18 month battle with cancer. He just had a birthday too. Yeah, sixty nine, man. And It's crazy. It's it's insane, and uh, yeah, I mean, David Bowie—he was an idol, and he was a very much a, a, a well, not just not just in in music, but I mean, like labyrinth, and he was also did some voice work in some in like a video game, and absolutely, you know, he he did some appearances from, from time to time, and, and the was, thing
1: about David Bowie is is that. He was one of those guys where when you were when you were growing up as a nerd, when you saw the labyrinth or you saw other things, and you saw how much of an iconic figure he was in music, it's like you know it's okay to be weird, yeah, you know that was one of the things I always loved about David Bowie he made it he made it cool to be a little left of center, and that I thought that was always really great.
2: David Bowie made it like he said he was to build on what you said. He was a person that pretty much came out and and showed people it's okay to be weird. It's okay to challenge the norms of society. Just be you. Like, just like, you know, and and what do people know him for? The creativity, the looks, Ziggy Stardust, all that other stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it's just pushing boundaries, Prince, is what he did. And he did it all like very, like, open-mindedness and a very open heart. And, you know, I I mean – I can't imagine what his son's feeling right now, you know, especially, you know, I think he's had going on with the Warcraft movie and everything else. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it it came out of nowhere. Like, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, Lemmy from Motorhead, when he died, you're like, yeah, we're not surprised that he died. But then, you know, David Bowie, for him, and for, I mean, can you imagine being diagnosed with cancer and saying, you know what, I'm going to go up and I'm going to get the strength to go do another album.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think we can agree cancer sucks. Oh yeah, and and definitely took another legend, and so rest in peace to David Bowie, and I'm James Witham alongside
2: the Merc with one arm, Nick Bataglia, and yeah, man, I mean, you know, one final thing about David Bowie, you know, rest in peace to him, and just thank you for just being yourself and showing people. It's okay to push the norms of society. It's okay to be different. It's okay to stand out in different variety of ways. So thank you to him. But on a much brighter note, James, we do have a big guest coming on this week.
1: Yeah, and we always talked about how much we loved Agent Carter and going back to that noir feel and going back to the simpler times, I guess you could call it. Maybe not so much for Peggy because we've got her main adversary on the show whenever it's going to come on to talk about her role as Whitney Frost. We know who that is. Madame Mask.
2: Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's going to be awesome because, of course, you know, it premieres January 19th, ABC. So I can't wait for you season two, man. It looks like they're going to ramp it up a little bit this season. And again, you bring in Win Everett as Madame Mask. And, you know, like, you know, we kind of touched on bit before, you know, off, off mic. You know, she's more of like the Tony Stark kind of thing. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they bring her into this 1940s era.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be interested to see what she says about the character and that kind of aspect of it, where they're doing something a little different, and see you know maybe where they're gonna take it. So it'll be really interesting to get her take on that. I've and I've been looking forward it ever since you know I found out they're going to L.A. this season and they're gonna they're gonna do something a little bit different on the show this this year. I, I was I was pumped when I saw that they were gonna get a season, so I'm like I'm ready for this.
2: Exactly. But coming up next, we're gonna pull out two new comics this week because what we're reading is coming up next right here on Down and Nerdy. This
1: is Timothy Truman, comic book writer and an illustrator, and you're listening to this down and
2: nerdy podcast. Well, folks, time to grab your comics and grab your morphers because we're going to discuss what we're reading this week, of course, powered by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragorn Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has to yourself and the nerds that you love. And James, since I brought up the whole morpher thing, I'm going to go first this week, and I decided that... You know, I'm a big Power Ranger fan. Oh, of course. And this week marks the release of Power Rangers number zero from Boom Studios. Actually, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. If you want to get fully technical there. Of course, from Boom Studios. Written by Kyle Higgins and illustrated by Hendry Persetia. Now, here's the thing. This is a zero issue. I'm just going to say this right now. However, it gladly does not read like a zero issue. No oh, good. And here's the thing. Now, this is, of course, it has um, the main arc, and then after that, it has two smaller stories that aren't connected afterwards. They're written by different writers and illustri- done by different illustrators. But the main arc, again, Kyle Higgins, Henry Prasetia. Now, here's the thing it pretty much centers around, it's, it takes place in current time. So, you know, there's texting, there's emojis, there's all that jazz. And if you've watched the Green Ranger saga, where Tommy was evil, it kind of is like that part too. Interesting. And because Rita kind of has Tommy a little bit under her control for a little bit of this book. And it brings up a very interesting thing. You know, it sends with him and Rocky and her to you know, angel grove high. And, you know, it's just really, really interesting. And then there it comes this part where it's just, it, I mean, you want to talk about a comic that moves very fast you get Tommy and Rocky out of uniform and like pages two and three, but then like pages seven and around there, because it's like a twenty-some odd page book. But you get pages like mid, mid like, like mid page, and there's already a, a monster b- b- attacking Angel Grove, and they all transform and morph into the Power Rangers, and then you get the Megazords, and the art is phenomenal. I showed you some of this the other night. Oh that, yeah, you know the art is very. Very detailed, and it's really amazing how, like, you know, the first page grabs you because it pretty much looks like a bit of a vision. But pretty much, Tommy kills all the Power Rangers, and it's not spoilers. Is you know, front page, and it's a vision, pretty much. But the way that it's done is just, because it, it for? It's one of those things where you think, is it foreshadowing? You know, you know, is it? You know, just a vision. What is this? And it brings up this great style of mystery and it brings up this great style of conflict between Tommy and the gang and, and him trying to fit in. And it's just, again, it's really, really great. The, the art is phenomenal. Uh, even though it's set in like the modern times and you have the modern technology or anything else, I don't care about that. It's not a big deal. Well, I mean at that's all.
1: typical for Power Rangers, though, isn't it? They kind of try and follow the times that that they're in and try and bring well, I mean, stuff. I you
2: know, I, I I'm not gonna lie. At first when I saw this was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, I like okay, it's gonna take place like in the '90s and the old school days, like when it you know was out. Um, but yeah, I have no problem with it being modern times. I have no 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 uh, problem with that at all. And, again, when they morph, it's fantastic. There's a great shot of them running towards this monster as a group. And it's a a great, great job uh, by the artist. The art just pops. The colors are vibrant. The suits look amazing. Like, they look amazing. Oh, definitely. And the Zords look great. The monsters look great. It's clean. That's what it is. It's very clean. And even it has a little bit of shine to it as well, especially when they're inside the Megazord. And you see their their visors, and it's a little bit of, of you know a shine to them, and it's nice, and you know. But then, as the story progresses, after you look at all this great art, and you see that what's this? Tommy doesn't have control of his dragon sword, and it doesn't tell. You know, I don't want to spoil who might be in control of it, but let's just say the ending of this brings in a very popular nemesis in the Power Ranger lore, and we see that Rita. Might have something very powerful up her sleeve, pretty much. And this, for me, dude, is a definite pull. I love this comic for a zero issue to just kick in the high gear and say, you know what, we're not, you know what, people know about Power Rangers, they know about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. This is geared towards the fans. You know, this is this is just fantastic. I loved it, and I, I can't can't highly recommend Power Rangers number zero enough.
1: Wow, that is a uh, that is a very very. Very good review on your part. I mean, if, if you're a Power Rangers fan, you're saying that this is it for you, basically.
2: Yeah, this is great. And like I said, I I actually read that the two stories that followed it, again, they're not connected at all. The art's a little bit different, but again, they fit more of the story. For example, there's one It's about, it's called The Ongoing Adventures of Bulk and Skull. It's more animated towards like a kid's kind of thing. Like so you see like in a kid's book kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of animation style and then there's one. It's it's a, like a time thing, and the art in there is not the greatest, but it's done differently, more pastel. I'll say, uh, Boom,
1: Boom has done that in the past. I know that uh, when I was reading uh, Sleepy Hollow from Boom, they would have a couple little little extra, almost like comic strip esque type stories at the end. So that's pretty common for room studios to kind of throw something a little extra in, especially when it's an adapted property to give you like a little bit of a side story or a little something fun at the end. So that, that's pretty typical of what they would do.
2: Yeah. And again, the bulk of skull, if I had to compare it to another, like the way it looks or compare it to like an Archie comic, the way it looks pretty All right.
1: much. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense.
2: And, uh, yeah. And again, uh, the, the third story is called what time is it? And, uh, uh you know, it's the power of his face off against Goldar, and it's a, uh, like I said, the, the arts, it's very bright and pastel, and, you know, it's not bad. It's just the shapes are a little bit different a little in a sense, but it's good nonetheless. But that's my comic this week. And, again, Power Rangers number zero is a big pull for me. What did you do this week, sir?
1: Well, I decided to do a little something a little bit different. I did do a DC comic this week, but something that I've never really done before. I decided to do a Wonder Woman comic this week. It's Legend of Wonder Woman number one, so it's a new series from Wonder Woman. It's done by uh, actually story and pencils by Renee DeLiz, and Ray Dillon did the inks, colors, and the letters. Actually, there's a good video on YouTube that we posted up at Facebook.com/slash Down and Nerdy of the creative process. That went into the book. This is a love letter for them to a character that they really enjoy. And what I love about this right off the bat is it doesn't start out with Wonder Woman at all. It's Hi- it's Hippolyta and her story of how she became the queen and how the society was formed and everything like that. How she built the land that was just of women and, the, and the, how they get the island and everything. Like it explains everything in pretty good detail. I mean, it only takes them like, I want to say... Nine pages-ish to get through that before we finally get our first scene of Wonder Woman. But here's the deal. And here's one of the things I actually loved about this. Wonder Woman is a child. Really? She is a child. So we were getting her story from when she was a child. So we're starting out, you know, she's the she's the kind of like the heiress kind of thing. Cause, yeah. you know she's the princess. Everybody assumes that she's going to be queen. And, you know, how that is when you're the kid that's different from all the other kids. So they don't necessarily pick on her. But they look at her differently, you know? Yeah. So it's a very interesting take that they decided to do. And, of course, what does that do? When you're that kid, what happens? You're a little bit rebellious, and you do things that maybe you shouldn't do, and you drift off of the pack, and that's exactly what she does. And without going into too much great detail, she goes somewhere where she's not supposed to go, where nobody's supposed to go, because she's curious, and she wants to kind of rebel, but she always wants she also wants to see what's out there. So it's your typical kind of, yeah, your young girl wants to find the world kind of thing. But uh, she almost gets herself into a little bit of trouble. But the, the one thing that's interesting about the story is that she knows something that she feels like she doesn't think anybody else is either, either knows or is paying attention to. Okay. And I'm not going to say who it is, but she runs into somebody in this place where she's not supposed to be. I really can't spoil where this is. Right. And this person also feels what she's feeling. So Diana and this woman kind of decide to on the down low kind of link up and try and investigate what's going on together.
2: You know, here's something that I love is that this deviates from the regular Wonder Woman run where she's an adult, she's the god of war. You know, I'm glad that it's we're getting this treatment of Wonder Woman when she's a young kid and we're kind of getting the growth and the development of Diana going from this young princess to the god of war and, and Wonder Woman. And there's
1: an innocence there too which I think is really great about her character as a young girl and even the beginning when it, when it's Hippolyta and her story it's a heartbreaking origin story to how she even comes to have a daughter in the first place. I mean it's so well written and the art is gorgeous. I mean, you want to talk about clean? You were talking about clean. You were talking about Power Rangers earlier. This is squeaky clean art. I mean, down to the last detail. It just looks so stunning. And the one of the things I love about the art that was done here was that it's the emotion in the eyes. Yeah. During those during those pivotal scenes, the it, the eye detail was there was a very big attention to detail there because they wanted to draw that emotion in. And I think they really captured that really well. So i got to be honest. I've been looking for a good Wonder Woman story to jump into. I think this is it. This is a poll for me. And I'm going to say this. If you are a younger woman or if you're just trying to get a female friend of yours or significant other into comics and you're looking for a good story, this might be the one. This is one of those comics where if you want to get girls into comics, this is
2: it. There's one thing i got to talk about with Power Rangers real quick. There is a scene with Finster because... Uh, Rita's asking about, like, is my monster ready kind of thing? Like, she does every episode. So, for some odd reason, I'm picturing, like, when the panel's not showing Finster and Rita, like, when he's making and molding the monsters, that's, like, the scene from Ghost. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) It's, like, with him and the clay. (laughs) That would be a very interesting way
1: to make a monster. Pottery
2: wheels aside. just, just, Just Finster with a pottery wheel, and, like, Rita puts her hand over his, and it's just... Yeah, <laughs> wow. if you want to create evil, apparently well, I mean, you need Patrick Swayze. Want, I mean, they <laughs> want to promote safe molding techniques. So, that I is mean, true. But that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. But come next, we're going to go and try to stop the assassination of John F. Kennedy. That's why right, we're tra- time traveling and going to eleven twenty-two sixty-three with Stephen King and James Franco. That's coming up next right here on Down Nerdy.
0: Hi, this is Greg Rucker comic book writer, and you're listening to the down-and-nerdy podcast.
1: Well, no DeLoreans this week, just a time-traveling closet as we're trying to stop the assassination of John F. Kennedy and travel to the world of the 60s, and Hulu's getting into the game of their own original series with 11-22-63 from Stephen King and J.J. Abrams. And Nick, when I first saw this trailer, I'm like, this looks really interesting.
2: Yeah, I'm saying that because if you listen to our Star Wars review... I'm not really the biggest fan of JJ, and
1: and we know that I am. So that's very. It's going to be a very interesting contrast.
2: Yeah. Um. No. It's a very interesting concept. The whole going back in time and stopping an event from happening. So pretty much, it follows high school teacher Jake Epping, who is of course played by James Franco, and he travels back in time to, of course, prevent the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. But his mission is pretty much threatened by Lee Harvey Oswald, of course. You know, falling in love, of course, in the past itself. So here's the thing. It's kind of got that back-to-the-future feel to it where, you know, you can't fall in love because you're changing the whole timeline. And it's going to be pretty interesting. Of course, I believe this is nine episodes. It's a, it's a miniseries pretty much. And, uh, yeah, again, it's on Hulu. And, oh, man, this looks pretty interesting. And it's
1: funny because you've also got Josh Jumel as part of this and, it, it, it just the way everybody's definitely in keeping with the times in this episode, you could tell that they they definitely put a lot of great attention to detail. And the thing is one of the parts that struck me in the trailer were, is where they say, you know, we don't know for sure. If Oswald was the one that killed John F. Kennedy, right. you're going to have to find that out when you get there. So what I'm trying to wonder is, cause you know, this is maybe one of the biggest conspiracies in American history. And you, you know, some people think they know what happened. Some people think they have a totally different version of events of what happened. I mean, when I was in college, uh, somebody that I knew wrote a paper as their thesis about how Oswald did not kill Kennedy and gave out all this evidence. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe we'll never know the real answer. So I'm very interested to see what take they decide to go on this i mean no there's a book too so i'm there's, sure you could read the book but
2: i mean this also if you ever seen the movie wag the dog it kind of feels like that a little bit too just in the terms of the whole conspiracy theory element and just yeah in, yeah in a backwards way
1: yeah in a backwards way or absolutely yeah right.
2: and of course i mean you can't forget the great chris cooper who plays El temple oh he looks like
1: he's gonna be amazing
2: he looks like he's gonna be great in this um But, yeah, I mean, this looks like a very interesting take, albeit, you know, it is J.J. Abrams, but it does have Stephen King's name on it. So I am hopeful. I hope that, you know, it does bring something original. Uh, I mean, it does have a really good cast. I mean, James Franco, Chris Cooper, Josh Jamel, T.R. Knight, Cherry Jones, and the list goes on and on. You know, Lucy Fry. And it's just, it looks pretty interesting.
1: Here's the funny thing, though. Your beef with J.J. Abrams seems to be with movies, but if you look at his TV work, there's a lot of originality in his TV work, so maybe this would be okay for you because his his TV work is is vastly different, I think, than his movie stuff.
2: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. And I mean, I
1: this should... is still adapted because it's from a book, but I mean, it's not like he's taking again Star Wars or Star Trek. It's not like you're taking something that's been a known entity on TV and movies for years and having to make a movie out of it. This is something where you're taking a book. And you're adapting it. So maybe a little bit different because you've got the novel to draw from.
2: Right. Um, I mean, that's true. Again, the thing is, I like that we're seeing, you know, Hulu follow kind of Netflix's realm and going to say, yeah, we're going to get some original programming. Yeah, step up your game a little bit,
1: Hulu. Let's go.
2: Yeah, justify why I got paid sixteen whatever bucks a month. And, and I mean it's
1: great that they've, Service. you know, they've they've saved a couple shows uh and they've, you know, put some different stuff out. And they have had a couple of original, I think, comedy series so far. So this is hey, this is their big drama. This is their big miniseries. This is the one this is gonna be their house of cards to yeah. see if whether going forward they're gonna be able to be a real player in this game of original programming or not. So when Netflix put out House of Cards. That was the thing that kickstarted them. Will this be the thing that kind of kickstarts Hulu as far as original programming is concerned? I think that the pieces they've put together and the names that they've got, it's got a good chance.
2: I, got, this is, I was going to bed last night and this question popped up in my head. If you could okay, go back and change or stop one thing from happening in a comic book arc, what would it be?
1: Oh, it, gosh. I I already know mine, but I'm
2: going to save mine.
1: God, this is interesting because, I mean, obviously you'd want to get rid of certain tragedies that happen. But I think that one thing I would like to see changed, because I would be very interested to see how it would have changed his story going forward, is if Gwen Stacy never dies the first time. In the Spider-Man comic, you know the iconic death yeah. scene that we saw Amazing Spider-Man two from that comic. If Gwen Stacy
2: never dies, where does that story go? I would, and you know this isn't really. I mean, it's it's a real event that happened, but I would stop Magneto from, and I would stop try to stop try I would try to stop the Holocaust, and I would stop Magneto from being part of the concentration camp. Yeah, that would be that. That because would be another good one. Think about it, you save Magneto from having to go to a concentration camp, which pretty much started his whole hatred against the humans and the whole word superior to human beings and they did this to me and holding that grudge. Imagine what him and Charles Xavier could have achieved if he didn't have that, that hatred for humans lying within him throughout his whole life pretty much. Because it would have been a totally different moments. story. Oh, yeah.
1: And who becomes the leader of the evil mutants? Would it have been Sabretooth? Would it have been... I don't know. Even Mystique, maybe? I don't know. Who would have taken up that... Or would there have even been a villainous role?
2: They probably maybe not. Have. No, they probably would have. Um, but, again, it, it would be like, who would be that leader? It would be interesting. You know, Would it be everybody at the head of the whole Weapon X facility? Would that just be it, pretty much? But it would just be like... You know what I'm saying? It would have been like... I look at Magne- Mag- uh, Magneto and Charles Xavier. Kind of like if Magneto stayed good... He could. they could have been the Elvis Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall, pretty much.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you saw that in First Class a little bit, too, when they when they adapted it for the movie, where they kind of started out where, you know, we're on the same side here, and then when it turned, you're like, no, we could have done so much, and then that just, it ruined it.
2: Exactly, but reverting back to eleven twenty two sixty three, 63 like we always do with trailers, what's one thing you hope happens, what's one thing you don't hope happens?
1: One thing I hope happens is that we get a... A really good in-depth story as to who actually killed Kennedy. Are they going to go with the whole, yes, it was Oswald route. And if they do go the other route, well, how are they going to tell that story? One thing that I don't hope happens is that we get too tied up in the whole time period aspect. I know that we say that it's good. You know, you pay homage to the time period you're in. I hope they don't go too deep into it. And make it too cliche, like we're in the '60s. So here's all the '60s things that we're gonna show you, kind of thing. Because I think that's one thing that Agent Carter does well. You're in a certain time period, but they don't beat it to death. They let you know that you're there, but then they just go off and tell the story. So I hope that's one thing that they don't do.
2: Uh, one thing I hope happens, and it's kind of both of these are gonna be kind of playoffs of what you just said here. Uh, my first thing I hope that happens is I hope actually instead of it saying, "Do we have a finite of who shot Kennedy?" I hope it's more, "Here's." these clues, here's these clues. And I hope it leaves, plays off like a little bit of a documentary where the audience has to make the decision for themselves. I choose your own adventure. That's how pretty I like much. Or yeah. like, Hey, you have this in front of you going on based off what you have. What do you as an audience think happened? If you want Oswald to do it, fast forward to 2336. <laughs> <laughs> if you have, if you want Oswald to do it, load the rifle. If you don't want Oswald to do it, stop him from loading the rifle. <laughs> but, uh, one thing I hope it doesn't happen is, again, anytime you, you show a romantic, uh, tri- not triangle, but uh, string in a, in a show, you don't want it to be where Franco falls in love and he's like, I got to find a way to bring her to the future with yeah, me.
1: Yeah, and don't let it dominate the plot. Yeah. that That tends to happen a lot, too, where the romantic arc dominates the plot. And, and you get away from the sci-fi aspect and the time travel aspect and it dominates the plot. And if that's what it's supposed to be, that's fine, but I don't think that's what this is supposed to be. So hopefully that doesn't happen.
2: Exactly. That's going to do it for our review of eleven twenty two sixty three. But come up next, we have a bounty of nerd news this week and it's coming your way next right here on Down Nerdy.
0: Hey listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Noble, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, folks, it's that time we enter our TARDISes and we see what's happening around the time sphere and the internet. It's time for what, James? Nerd 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 news. NEWS! And speaking of TARDISes, our first story deals with Doctor Who. Now, of course, the series did just recently celebrate its 50th, yes, 50th anniversary. And now, James, there's another spinoff, even though it's not the first time there's been a spinoff. They actually announced, the BBC did, that, hey, Class is set to premiere on the BBC Three sometime this year.
1: Yeah, and it looks like it's also going to be available on BBC America, although there's really not a hard date for that either. And basically, we're only getting a little bit of information on it so far. It's going to follow a group of teenagers living in modern London and monsters and aliens kind of start to break through walls of time and space. So, you know, pretty much what you'd expect from Doctor Who. But you know what I also love? I loved it, and this is true of the BBC for a lot of their shows. Have you noticed this, where they say, it'll debut in 2016, you know, whenever. They have this real cavalier approach. They do the same thing with Sherlock. Like, yeah, we've got a special coming out sometime. Yeah. We'll let you know when it is, when it gets closer. But, eh, don't worry about it. They're just just very relaxed
2: with their programming. And the thing about the show is that, of course, it's being written and produced by Patrick Ness. Now, if you don't know who he is... He's the author of six critically acclaimed young adult novels, and of course, they're aiming us more towards young adult, given where it takes place and when, and also it's going to be an eight-episode series, or, you know, and I say series because over in England they say series, not season.
1: Well, it's funny because I think that that's kind of what they've needed to do to get a younger generation into into Doctor Who, and I'm not saying that younger people can't enjoy it, but... You want to see that chronology there. Like, you know, when you were a kid, you started with cartoons, then you moved up to young adult shows, and then you moved up to, you know, the big boy shows. Yeah. And I think this is a a middle step for something like Doctor Who that they could take. And, I mean, like you said, they've had spinoffs before. Of course, Torchwood, uh, Sarah Jane Chronicles that they've had. But, you know, none of those had a huge longevity, I wouldn't say. Especially not the 50-year longevity of Doctor (laughs) Who. So I think they've been looking for a spinoff that'll be that other thing that they can put over here while Doctor Who is also going on.
2: Right, and I mean Sarah Jane Chronicles didn't last long because the main actress Elizabeth Sladen died, so they couldn't right. continue it at all. um And you know, you mentioned Torchwood, but yeah, you know, he's got a following. But again, you're going for young adult, you're going for something that's gonna. It, it seems interesting as all oh, hell. Oh, it does, yeah. And I mean, it's it's really really interesting to see how, especially when you get a, a writer and a, a you know, purchase showrunner like Ness, who's going to be doing this, and it's pretty much seems like it's going to be on the right track as far as the show goes. But speaking of on the right track, especially on the fast lane, pretty much. Yes, I just used a pun for you. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was waiting. I was just letting it hang out there. Kevin Smith is directing an episode of The Flash. Now, they haven't set a date for the ship. they did say that it's more likely going to be in May towards the uh, end of the season. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for this. You know, it just
1: seems like... One of those perfect marriages between character and director. I just feel like, I know that Kevin Smith's, he's a big Batman guy. Well, he's a big comic book guy anyway, but, you know, mostly he seems to focus on Batman sometimes, but I don't know. It just seems like the way that Kevin Smith goes about his directing, this just fits for him, I think. And I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do, but I mean, think about it. Kevin Smith has that, you know, he has the funny side, but he also has the serious side and he knows how to balance those two worlds very well. So bringing that to the flash, I think, I think it's going to be great. I can't wait for this.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of, you know, this season is pretty much, we can say it's been a darker season. No doubt. Oh, no doubt, Yeah. Uh, and you know, Kevin Smith, you know, he's done red state and you know, while a lot of people didn't like Tusk, I being one of them, it was still a darker you know what we know from all his other works, you know JSON and Bob and stuff, and you know it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be really, really fun. I mean, it's not gonna be one of those things where you know you might say, you know, and the thing is too is that it's directing television, so I mean certain episodes, you're like oh my god, that's so amazing. But mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see how much of a, a certain twist or take he puts on it with this episode. Uh, I, I can't wait for me. I think it's gonna be really, really fun.
1: Well, the thing I love too is that he's going to be able to put his stamp on this, you know, and he's a fan. This isn't somebody that's just coming in. That's like a famous director (laughs) and he's going to, you know, and he's going to just, you know, try to do justice for what the, what the show has been doing. I think that Kevin Smith, he's one of those guys. that's not afraid to take a couple of chances. You know, he's not afraid to put his own spin on it while keeping within the storyline that they have. (laughs) So I think that this might be one of those episodes of the flash that stands out.
2: Plus, it's a way for him to get his Fat Man on Flash podcast off the ground. Yeah, too. there you
1: go. Got to have it. That guy's got more spinoffs. He's got Fat Man, on Batman.
2: You know, the whole Smodcast, of course. But I mean, you, you know, if he does do the Flashing, can you imagine if Kevin Smith, one of those guys, were? He ends up having, like, Fat Man on every member of the Justice League.
1: Yeah, that, that would actually make a lot of sense. You know, just get, I don't know, but how deep is he going to go? Are we going to go Fat Man on Martian Manhunter and, <laughs> you know, Fat Man on Booster Gold
2: kind of thing? I mean, how far is it going to go? Well, I mean, how can you go wrong with Fat Man Booster Gold? Seems like uh. an exact hit. Well, speaking of the Flash, James, something that's been climbing up the... Money Ladder has been Star Wars as of late, and I mean, Episode 7 is demolishing box office numbers like crazy, you know, and of course, Ryan Johnson is set to direct Episode 8, but again, it's been Episode 9 lately that's been getting a lot (laughs) of attention. Now, we all know Colin Trevorrow, who recently, of course, did Jurassic World, is set to direct Episode 9, and... Of course, there is a petition that was going out that has about, I guess, 20,000 signees that say, "Replace Trevor Trevorrow with George Lucas. Before we dive into this, here's what he said. So he said, quote, it's funny. I saw that and it, it was on the day where I was at Lucasfilm giving this big speech to everyone about how he wanted to channel the intent, the invention and just the raw creativity and the boldness that George brought to these films. Now, there's more to that, but that's pretty much the gist of it. He was, can you imagine being at, like, Lucasfilm, and all of a sudden you find out via however, hey, there's this petition going around that people want to replace you with George Lucas. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> Star Wars fans... You do know that there's things called contracts that exist. Yeah. And given what George Lucas recently said, where he said, you know, he's done with Star Wars, he's done with the whole big budget thing. But remember, he also made a comment he called pretty much Disney white slavers.
1: Yeah, I don't think you really want to do that to somebody who, uh, you know, you just gave you a big check. Yeah. Uh, That quote, by the way, was from ET Online from uh, Trevor. We wanted to get that in there. But can we chill? Star Wars fans, I mean, we haven't even gotten to eight yet. Can we chill on nine? So that's first. That's the first thing I wanted to well, say. Not like that, Let, but let's get to eight, okay?
2: Yeah, well, not only like that, but it's like, you do remember that he did do the prequels, right? And that was my second point.
1: Yeah, he, he caught lightning in a bottle in 1977, and it was very innovative, and he did a great job. And, you know, everybody loves Star Wars A New Hope. Everybody. He did a great job. But then his next venture back into Star Wars was the prequels. How'd that go? Not so, great. not so great. So we want to bring him back for the finale of a trilogy just randomly because what what is it? The right thing to do or but, something? No, it's
2: not. And here's the thing, and this is why of course this petition means absolutely nothing, really. If you're Colin. If you're Trevorrow, you're like, I'm not worried about this because yeah, like, odds man. are his contract's already signed. You know, and plus Disney already announced this, say, hey, he's gonna do an episode nine, you know? Unless Trevorrow has like an Edgar Wright situation, right? He's going to be directing this, you know, he's going to be directing the film.
1: Well, and I mean, I mean, you look at he's, he's part of Jurassic world. So, I mean, there's that, but I'm sure that, you know, the folks from Jurassic world, cause we know there's going to be more of those movies. We already know there's a sequel. They'll probably end up being a third, uh, depending on how the sequel goes, but you know that everybody's going to play nice. Everybody's going to work together because, you know, the people from Star Wars can say the director from Jurassic World. And the people from Jurassic World can say the director of Star Wars Episode Nine. They can help each other. So you're going to play nice there. So I don't really see anything that would come up that would make Trevorrow go, ah, you know what? I just don't have time to do Star Wars. Who would say I don't have time to do Star Wars? Yeah. Come on. That, this is going to be the paycheck for him. Plus to take something. That's been so iconic for so many years and put your name on it and your stamp on it. Why would you not? Well, not do just
2: that? that, but I want to point this out that episode nine is going to be the last of this trilogy that we're going to be getting. Right. And, you know, why would you not want to direct a film where you can put a nice little ending?
1: Yeah, you're th- the end point. It. Yeah, that's the yeah. crazy thing. Think about all the things that he could do in episode nine. Now, we have no way of knowing what's to come in the trilogy, but think about the stuff that he could do, like, what if Luke Skywalker dies in, in Episode Nine? You're the dude that killed Luke Skywalker, you know. But I then mean, again, that's the crazy. But thing.
2: then again, and I don't want to really rehash this again. But then again, you'd be the guy that would say, "Oh, they just took a piece out of Return of the Jedi where Yoda dies." Instead of Yoda, it's Luke. So well,
1: well remember Yoda and Anakin die in Episode Nine,
2: right? So but both of them die. Still, it's just one of those things. But, I, you know, yeah, I mean, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? I, it's not I not, no not that exactly,
1: that. but I mean, I, you could oh, do yeah. something that would make people go, whoa, that guy did that, you know, or maybe, maybe the Millennium Falcon blows up or something. I don't know. I mean, just something that would make Star Wars fans go, oh my God, that just happened.
2: Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of something that, pretty much happened out of nowhere. Like legit, when we saw the story, it just happened out of nowhere, and it's kind of a flying under the radar. We haven't really heard much talk about it, but Legendary Entertainment, which of course you know, known for its films and its comic books, has been sold to Chinese media company Dalian Wanda Group Company Limited, and it was announced Monday evening. Now, here's the thing that's really like got my eyes open on this it was a cash deal yeah for three and a half billion yeah that's ridiculous I mean you could win
1: Powerball and still be two billion short. <laughs> who shows up with what do they show up with a like a fleet of trucks to this place and just start shucking bags in to the to the room going hey here you go there's one there's two there's three I mean is it a Scrooge McDuck situation are we diving into <laughs> vats of coins now mm-hmm. I mean
2: seriously it- but then, like, you know, Thomas Tull, who, of course, is going to be staying on as chairman and CEO, wow, he just pretty much went in with, like, $1,000 of pennies and boxes and stuff like that. Yeah, so like exactly. there go. He's going to be that guy. And, now, I mean,
1: everybody's saying all the right things. You know, we're honored to be a part of this family. Yeah. We're excited, blah, blah, blah. But, Nick, I want to ask you, with with so many projects already on the table— do we see things get anything get shelved for one or for two? Do we see things go in a different direction because of a change of
2: ownership here? There's there's, there's two things I think that's really really impacts. One is bigger than the other, but the one I want to talk about really quickly is I don't know about you, but I'm getting kind of tired of this whole Pacific Rim is on, Pacific Rim is off kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. I think with this acquisition, because now I believe Dalian Wanda group now is like the biggest media company like in the world now, I think. I I
1: think I think so. I don't know if that's like one hundred percent, but if not, they're up there.
2: They're 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 pretty much really, really up there. And and it's just it's uh so it could be like, okay, maybe Pacific Room two finally gets on the ball here, and it's probably uh you know
0: going
2: to get a production. And I'm actually yeah. right now that the acquisition of Legendary actually will make Wanda Film Holdings Company the highest revenue-generating film company in the world.
1: Ah, there's the distinction. Revenue-generating. Okay, there we yeah, go. Yeah, th- That's what I meant.
2: Yeah. Um, but that's one thing. Number two, this is China, and then this, there's the U.S. This is going to help build so much overseas revenue. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? And that's the thing. I agree, yeah. And not only that, but there's probably going to be a lot of films. You know, we talked about Transformers last week, about how the last one was mostly filmed in China. There might be films that maybe they can't have enough of a budget. So China will say, you know, Wanda will say, okay, if you come over to China, we'll pay you X amount more dollars in your budget so you can do these things, but you have to shoot it in China.
1: Yeah, it's possible that we could see some stuff get moved there. I mean, like, if the Pacific Rim thing does eventually happen... I could see that being shot over there. Of course, you know, they were also uh, responsible for producing stuff like, you know, Jurassic World. And of course they did Inception. Uh, They produced that as well. So I'm not sure what they would do with those, but we have to remember too. There's a comic book arm here. Yeah. Legendary does have comics, so what does it do for the future of those? Because we know the Pacific Rim comics. Do we see maybe a little bit of a different approach to how the comics are going to go?
2: When it comes to the comic books and this entire deal in general, I think it was more about not saving really anything. I think it was more about distribution. Yeah, I think it was more about how much can we make more money in terms of distribution. How can we, you know, reach out into the China- Chinese, uh, you know, demographic and and, and You know, film fans out there, and vice versa. Uh, When it comes to comics, maybe this will get you know. China's very strict in their rules, you know, as a communist country, right? But maybe this will help get some American books over in China.
1: Well, let's face it; it's not like they've really paid a whole lot of attention to their comic book arm, anyway. I mean, they're way behind DC and Marvel, and even Image, IDW, Dark Horse stuff like that. So, I mean. I don't really see this jump starting that any more than it actually is. And I'm thinking that maybe we could just see the comics arm go away entirely, which I really hope doesn't happen because they are telling some good stories. Just not enough people know that they exist.
2: Exactly. And I mean, again, we'll see how this works out. But again, I think it's more from a distribution standpoint as you know, this, this uh, deal goes forward and it's, you know, everything's all happening. Cause I mean, and
1: it, yeah. And everything's just so hush hush right now. We don't even really know what to expect. And, nobody seems to be paying attention like you were saying earlier. So it's hard to know what this is really about.
2: Again, I mean, nothing has really changed. I mean, Thomas Tall is still going to stay on as, you know, chairman and CEO. So again, it's just money changing hands. And I think, again, I think it's just mostly about distribution. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. But that's going to do it for Nerd News. But coming up next, of course, you all know season two of Agent Carter premieres this coming Tuesday, January 19th at 9 p.m. 8 central on ABC. And guess who we have coming up? That's right, Madam Mask Herself. Win Everett is coming on to talk about Season 2 of Agent Carter. That's coming up next right here on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Well, one of the things Nick and I were most excited about last year was when we heard that Agent Carter was going to be coming to ABC, and now we're so lucky that we're going to get a second season. It's going to start on January the 19th with a big two-hour premiere, and we have the villainous Win Everett with us this week. Wynn, how you doing?
0: I'm wonderful. I'm so happy to be here.
2: That's so awesome. How was your uh how is your weekend, by the way? How's 2016 been for you so far?
0: It's been It's been interesting. It's been good. I have no complaints. We're only what a, a weekend. Yeah, yeah, not that
1: Not that far <laughs> in. It almost I, seems like it's almost Valentine's Day at the same time, though, because time flies so quickly. <laughs> now.
0: I know, I know, and I'm still writing two, 2015 on everything. And I have to like correct it with the loop.
1: Yeah, I've done like, that. I've done that a few times for sure, but I mean, hey, 2016 is going to be big for you because, of course, you play Madam Mask on Agent Carter, and this is actually your first comic book-related project, so how have your interactions with the fans been so far?
0: Well, you know what? It's interesting because it hasn't aired yet. I really haven't had that many interactions with the fans, but the few that I have met and the, the few that I have interacted with online a little bit have been incredible. And, you know, it's always very scary when you enter into this world because the fans are so passionate and mm-hmm. I get so nervous because I just want to do them justice and their characters and the, the um, reality of, of Whitney and Madam Mask and everything. And so far, I can't tell you, people have been so warm, so welcoming, so loving to me. And, and I really, really appreciate that. So, you know, I get a little bit in your background
2: here. So you received your degree in communications from Auburn University, War Eagle, by the way. Uh, War Eagle. And and you minored in theater as well. So what was it about the communications field that drew you to it? And what was the one lesson you learned in theater that you pretty much hold dear to this day?
0: Mm,
2: That's such a good question.
0: Um, Well, when I... When I left Auburn, I, I did. I had my major in communication and theater. And all through high school, all I ever did was theater. I was a huge, as they called it as in high school, theater geek, which I wore proudly, that um, label. And so when I went to Auburn, I really... I kind of decided, I I looked at conservatories and I really decided I wanted like a big university experience. And so I went to Auburn and did football every weekend. And it was just so different from my life that I had in high school theater, you know, every second. And um, I loved it. So I majored in communication, but I minored in theater because that was my heart, my my love. And then I took my communication degree to New York and I wanted to work for uh, Good Morning America. So I got a internship with um, with Diane Sawyer my senior year, and then they hired me afterward. And I worked for five years there, um, and loved it. I worked behind the scenes, and I ran the green room. So I worked with every guest that would come in to the show in the mornings, and I mean every musician, every author, every writer. I mean I met Jimmy Carter, who was you know being from Georgia was my hero president, and um, just everyone. But you know through that I kind of kept feeling that pull to the theater. And missing it so much. So I would get off work every day at 10 a.m. I'd go in at 4 a.m. I would um, be on the streets in New York City at 3, 45 a.m. Hailing cabs and getting cars, which I still can't believe my parents let me do that. But I look back. <laughs> <laughs> and, I um, and I got off at 10 a.m. So then I started uh, auditioning again and just pounding the pavement, and, you know, just standing in long lines and doing everything that every New York actor does starting off, and especially for me, because I didn't have that college conservatory, so I was going up against, you know, people, they'd say to me, why, why, why would, why should I hire you for this? You go to Auburn University, I don't know anything about your theater program, I can hire someone from Yale conservatory that just graduated. Why would I hire you? And I get it. Um, and I totally understood, because, it, you know, it's just, this, this business, it takes a long time of, mm. of experience, and, and just getting your foot in the door, and also, um, just getting back to theater. So, I would say, as far as the theater goes, the one thing I've taken with me is, and it, it plays out every single day. In television, is just the teamwork and the community, and that you're all kind of serving a higher good. Especially is the case too with Agent Carter, is we're all serving a bigger story. It's nothing about my story or her story. Everyone's really working together as a team and and you know serving the higher good of, of the story. So I think that that's probably what the theater taught me the most in all my time in New York and all my time in high school too.
1: It's an amazing cast and you're part of it. You play of course Whitney Frost slash Madam Mask. Now in the comics, your character's kind of more tied to Tony Stark, but it's clearly way too early for that. So do you like that you'll be able to kind of put a different spin on a very popular character and kind of make it your own?
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, but I also this is this is one of those things that it's kind of you don't know because the fans the fans are so passionate um, if they are open to interpreting Whitney Frost in a different way. And um, I think the writers are really brave for kind of saying you know we're giving this in- incredible nod to Madame Mac, um, but also bringing a very different look of her and a different way of her. But you know. Uh, I've said this in other interviews, too, they've honored both worlds in the most incredible way. They've honored the world of uh, Whitney Frost and where I came from and, you know, Julia Nefaria and all the things that I my past um, becoming Madame Mask. But then they've also honored what they wanted to do, which was make me more of an actress uh, based on Hedy Lamar. And um, 1940 is this person that kind of comes up against uh, Peggy in a very unique and unusual way. And so they really honored both worlds. Whereas if I was a writer, I would be quite scared to do that. I would be nervous about tinkering with um, already very well-established characters, but they've, mm-hmm. I think they've done it in a way that it's going to honor the fans.
2: We're, of course, talking with Wynne Everett from Agent Carter. Season 2 has a two-hour premiere that premieres January 19th on ABC. So, when we all know how close to the vest Marvel is when it comes to their casting and their news. What was the process like for you in terms of audition, and what things did you take away from it?
0: Oh, my goodness. I, I also feel like I've answered this a lot, so I, I ask forgiveness for people that have heard this story a couple times. But, yeah, when I auditioned for this, I... Got the, uh, the as we call them, the sides, the script. And the role was a, a woman named Wendy Fallon. And uh, also, she was an actress in the 1940s and a scientist, and based on Hedy Lamar. So that's all the research I did was Hedy Lamar and, you know, watching films, a couple films of hers, and watching some videos and anything I could find about her and reading a lot. And um, then that was it. And I got the role, and then I think it was probably maybe three weeks after, so someone emailed me some information about my character, and I looked at it and I was reading it on my email. I said, "Oh, oh no! Well, now my character's name is Whitney Frost. That's interesting." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Hmm." And I looked at Whitney Frost online, and it was like Alice in the Rabbit Hole. I just like, <laughs> fell into the rabbit <laughs> hole. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and, this is amazing. This is so incredible. So, um, oh my! I mean, there's just so much information about her and her backstory and her life and growing up. You know, in the crime family and everywhere. It's 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 unbelievable. So, the process of the audition to the work has been exhilarating and so interesting because it's not at all what I auditioned for. And again, you know, when I auditioned, I had no idea in a million years that this person would ever become a, a villain to Peggy and I'm you know the most passive peaceful person ever so to be kind of after you get the job thrown into that it's amazing and um, and kind of digging deep into that place of humanity that Uh, Again, Whitney, I've said before, doesn't believe, I I don't believe as Whitney I'm doing anything evil, um, but I'm kind of doing it all for the betterment of man and the uh, disenfranchised and the underdogs out there is who I want to serve. So anyway, it's been a journey and an incredible one.
1: I actually wanted to touch on something that, that I noticed when you were answering a couple of questions ago. When you were talking about uh, Whitney and Madame Mask, you kind of said I and my when you were talking about her story. So did you really dive into the character and, and really kind of do a method thing where you really dove in and tried to become her? Because clearly you're not, like you said, a very divisive and villainous person. We could kind of tell that. So how much did you actually just kind of jump outside of yourself and dive into the actual character when you were filming?
0: You know, it's so interesting. You're right. I I am just literally, I'm such an anti-violence, anti-anything evil. And then I get this character put in my lap, which is so funny. Um, I come from a teacher in the acting world that really talks about when you're doing a role, helping you kind of really just come from the place of I. I is Whitney instead of me and her, because that can get very confusing, dividing up. And oh, well, I win would, would never do that, but Whitney would. But in reality, we're all you know humans, and we all have this capability of um, of confusion, which I believe in this insatiable hunger for power, which I believe Whitney has. But as far as um, you know, honestly, the writing is so uh, so good on the show that it it, it, it lends itself for the actor it doesn't have to do as much work as some other shows that I've worked on because the writing is there, the the characters are so well developed, the work is almost done for you, and you just step into the clothes, which are incredible, the 1940s, you know, from every piece of undergarment they had, they give us, to you know, the shoes, the nails, the, the eyelash, everything is exactly year-specific, and then you just show up to do your job, and it kind of falls into place quite easily. So, and that's
2: really, really cool to get on set and just pretty much be, you know, take in the whole 1940s era. And for those who don't know much about Madame Mask's abilities, she's very well trained in hand-to-hand combat, and she's an expert, expert markswoman. woman. Uh, so what has the training process been like for you, and what has been your proudest moment so far?
0: <laughs> I love that question. If only my husband could hear that question, because I he calls my arms when I get animated and I'm talking, it in an animated way. He calls my arms the flailing (laughs) linguinis. Oh, wow. Because I'm so unathletic and I have the muscle power of about a Um, (laughs) three-year-old. I, (laughs) the physicality was very interesting. I am not a, uh, I I am not a very athletic person. I never have been. I've always been quite horrible at sports. Um, but in our world of Agent Carter, Whitney Frost's powers kind of manifest in a very interesting way, which you guys will see soon. And um, and so it did have a couple of demanding, you know, um, moments physically. And we had an incredible stunt coordinator on the show that worked with us. And once again, it was just amazing um, putting the pieces together, almost like a dance. So it's not as if you're, um, you know, I wouldn't be uh, like pulling hamstrings and you know everything, but it was uh, just put together in such an easy way for the actors to grasp that um, the physicality came easily. But um, my powers are definitely a little different than the than the than the butt kicking that may be in in you know a, a lot of the backstory comics of Whitney Frost. Definitely, but it doesn't you- mean I can't work it out. <laughs> oh, hey,
1: this is the best workout plan ever. You know, so, I mean, look what it's done to other people that have done Marvel TV and movies. I mean, it's a good workout plan.
0: I may actually get some muscles.
1: There you go. Hey, I've never had any, so let me know what that's like.
0: Uh, I don't either.
1: <laughs> you've worked with such an amazing cast on the show. I mean, Hayley Atwell, James Darcy, and the list goes on and on and on. So without spoiling anything, is there any specific scene that you've shot that's really stood out to you so far, or maybe a couple?
0: I would say, you know, most of, uh, uh, most of my work I did with a gentleman, an actor named Curry Graham, who plays my husband. He plays Calvin Chadwick. And he's um, running for the state Senate. And he's just, uh, as an actor, he and I, we just loved each other. I loved working with him. I loved working with him every day. And um, that was really special to me. He's just an actor that dives right in. We didn't have to, you know, get to know each other or anything like that. We just got to work. And um, that's what I love. And then Haley, she's just, you know, I mean, working with her and the scenes that I have with her are just so much fun because it's very easy. She's just very, very easy to be around, and and um, and that makes for you know someone that's an outsider like me coming into a second season. It, it it it's it's so much more comforting. And James is one of my favorite people I've ever met, and he's hilarious on screen and off, and he keeps everyone everything rolling. He's just lovely and kind and generous and so special. So really. Yeah, that work with those guys. And also, you know, a lot of, for me, what was interesting is this is my second time doing special effects. I've never gotten the opportunity to really work in special effects. And for me, that was just, it was mind-blowing. I mean, our first day of a real special effects, you know, a scene that would take an hour, took five. Wow. wow. Uh, just because there's so many elements that you don't realize when you're watching it from a viewer standpoint. I mean, I watch tons of shows with special effects and... I don't realize the work and the hours that went into that one two mm-hmm. minute when it plays out on you know film two minute scene, but um, all the people involved, all the special effects people that, all the people that have to you know put together the from the still photographs to that. I mean, it's just so many puzzle pieces that it makes your head sense. That that was really interesting to me to watch. So, when before we
2: let you go, where can people reach you on the web?
0: <laughs> I love it. Uh,
2: they can't <laughs> see now no, trust me
1: we we looked because this is a typical question we always ask
0: i also have no social media presence which is so boring i'm not on twitter can you believe it and the the producers were saying when you got you got you got to get online you got to get on
1: twitter well maybe just maybe just a friendly wave on the street or something <laughs>
0: Exactly. You can wave at me on the street, please. And, um, you know, you can follow me online as far as what I'm doing next. But I'm I, i I'm, I'm a really kind of strange bird in that I steer away from a lot of social media, though. I think it's one of those powerful forces out there. It's incredible. You know, it's incredible. And, it's, and, and I hope people through it are getting the word out to watch the show because it's it's a labor of love for so many people, and we just want viewers to see it and hopefully enjoy it. And, uh, it was just such an amazing experience.
1: Well, very much in keeping with the era of Agent Carter, which premieres, by the way, January 19th on ABC, big two-hour premiere. Make sure you're looking out for Whitney Frost slash Madam Mask. It's Win Everett Win. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this week.
0: Thank you, guys, so, so much. I really appreciate this, and thank you for your support of the show and, and your love. You know, James, it's not
2: every week when we have a guest on, you know, when we ask, you know, where we find you on social media or on the web? Never do they say and have the great answer of, I'm not, because yeah. they're well because they're living a dream that I secretly have. I'm like Oh, do not have to be on Twitter I or know. Facebook or be, you know, just to live my life.
0: <laughs>
1: I know. It's it's really gotten to that point. But you know what? Hey, this is the ultimate method acting. She wanted to be true oh, to yeah. the character, true to the time period. There was no social media back in the days of Agent Carter. So, you know, why not just go all the way with it?
2: Exactly, man. I mean, it, it was so great. And, you know, I mean, we talked a little bit about... about her, you know, right, you know, working for Good Morning America, you know, and just uh, it, it's just amazing, and you know, and it's the thing of kind of like you know when you're in the green room, like I said, she was in charge of the green room and everything else. Yep. And when you're meeting those types of people daily, part of it, like I said, it's like you know maybe some of it's kind of like you know one day I want to be in that spot, you know, what I'm saying like vice like reverse, you know, yeah, exactly. And, and it's just amazing, and you know, I'm I'm you know we're we're so happy when Agent Carter. You know, went to you know got to worry. It's going to the second season, and it, you know, I, again, you know, it's 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 gonna be awesome. I can't wait to see you know when take the take center stage as Madame Mask, and uh, it's gonna be a really great premiere, I believe.
1: It's funny too because all this started because of a short. On a Blu-ray extra in yeah! a Marvel movie, and now all of a sudden we're talking about season two of Agent Carter in a two-hour premiere on January nineteenth on ABC. That's pretty incredible.
2: Well, not just that, but also she's going to be continuing that line, that we've been seeing over the past few years of that strong female role. Yes, both yes. Haley Atwell as, as Peggy Carter and also whenever as Madame Mask. You know, it's going to boast too strong female leads going head to head this season it's gonna be spectacular
1: and what's spectacular we hope you think anyway was our episode here of the down and nerdy podcast thank you so much as you do every week for turn tuning and we do appreciate that of course you know speaking of social media by the way we're, we're on it too we're at facebook.com slash down nerdy <laughs> at down and nerdy 757 i'm james ace
2: with them on twitter my good uh, friend nick <laughs> i about to say i so used to doing it vice versa anyways uh i'm on twitter at Merck with one arm uh again we're also again facebook.com slash don nerdy donnerdy podcast.com we're on the web as well we also have a what we're reading segment we have two written reviews we do each week separate from the sh- ones we do on the air and again you know hit those up people have been enjoying them they're about three or four paragraphs long and again they're two separate co- they're two separate columns. so technically well, not technically, but we actually do four reviews yep. each week. Right. And hey, you know, we're all over Facebook, we're all over Twitter, you know, and that's where you can reach us. And that's and again, thanks to Wynne Everett. Thanks to folks over at Marvel for helping us set this up. Amazing interview. And again, check out Agent Carter. season two premiere January nineteenth on ABC. It's gonna be a fantastic, fantastic premiere. We just know what it is. And with that, I leave you with this, as I always do every week, nerds. Practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.